Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. Meantime, of the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. He is a friend of the show. He's from The Athletic. Bob Kravitz is with us right now. Bob, I saw all your column that you had in The Athletic. As sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives and the clock ticking on some coaches. If this were, you think, a regular week or if this team offensive line-wise plays to what we have seen so far consistently this week, on Thursday night, what do you think that might mean for the old line coach Chris Drosser? Yeah, I think uh, I think he's kind of uh, living on borrowed time at this point. Um, you know, look, since 2019, uh, they've declined, at least in my view. Uh, even though Jonathan Taylor ran, you know, for a, a franchise high uh, record last year. Um, they weren't that great in pass protection. You know, part of that was Wentz, but part of that was them. And yeah. right now, there's a disconnect somewhere, you know. Uh, and look, is it all his fault? No. I mean, guys are not playing. Braden Smith is not having the type of season that you would expect. Uh, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson got run over uh, yesterday and gave up one of the few sacks of his career. So nobody is covering themselves in glory at this point, but you can't fire them. They've got contracts and you can move off of a offensive line coach. So I think that he is, uh, he, he's, uh, he needs a big effort on Thursday night. If he hopes to, you know, keep his job. So Bob Kravitz joins us. You know, you get back to last year and you're right. They weren't very good last year at all. You even go back to that year with the rivers it was a struggle keeping him upright early, and then once they got used to the quick rhythm thing, I always thought that maybe their improvement two years ago, maybe this is a backhanded compliment, but I always thought that it was more because of his quick release, his snap, and the ball was out than it was them being incredible at protecting him. Right. No, I mean, that, I mean Rivers, uh, you know, he always got rid of the ball in two point whatever, three seconds. Uh, right now, uh, Ryan's around 2.6-something. My, my editor, Jim Aiello, just uh, tweeted that out a short time ago. Um, the problem is he's getting hit constantly. And, you know, we knew that there would be a, a decline in the quality of play. But it's not, like, it's not like Eric Fisher or Mark Lewinsky were Pro Bowl players. I mean, they were average at best. Fisher was playing one year after a, a, after an Achilles tear. So it's not like you're going from Quentin Nelson to a UDFA. You're going, you know, from Mark Lewinsky to, you know, to uh, Danny Pinter, who I think is better suited to center than he is right guard. But it's not a good sign when you've already had to bench your right guard and your left tackle uh, was sharing snaps with a with a rookie who is really a project in Ryman. So, um, it, you know, it, it, you, you can't. It's got to be on the coach. I mean, it's somebody's yeah. gonna have to be, um, you know, taken to task for this. And it's not going to be Frank Reich, not at this point. Certainly not Ballard. It's not anybody else. I think Chris Strasser um, is uh, really on the hot seat. 
So Bob Kravitz of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I mentioned this, and this is well beyond just the level of play yesterday, the disappointment, the way that they came out emotionless, listless, and got worked and, you know, fell so far behind you ultimately lose and you couldn't get back. It is what we're talking about here. The offensive line, and certainly to a degree as well, the defensive line, both foundational building blocks of the blueprint of Chris Ballard. And, Bob, you look at it, especially the offensive line, this is failing. And this is not only failing in the now, Bob, but it's failing. This will have a profound effect for the foreseeable future with this failure. And, and, yeah, it's going to, it's going to, this is going to be the gift that keeps on giving. I, I don't know how you fix this, uh, certainly in short order, much less down the road. What scares me the most, John, is that I wonder, and I'm not making any loud pronouncement here, but that we're going back six games now, four games this yeah. year and two games last year, when they have consistently not been ready to go. And, while I hold the players largely responsible for that, you have to wonder if they haven't heard this voice for too long. You know, and I never agreed with Larry Bird on this whole idea that, you know, that a coach's voice uh, no longer is heard after a couple of years. Of course, the difference is they play 82 games in the NBA uh, in a season and there's only 17 in the NFL. But they, whatever you think uh, is, is wrong here, they are not responding to Frank Reich uh, and this coaching staff right now. Listen, we're not in the locker room with the players and the staff, but after you heard an offseason, and if he wasn't talking about Carson Wentz leaving, he was talking about the importance of beating this Tennessee team. And I, I thought, Bob, to the point where Jim Mercy was kind of smitten with Vrabel and that entire operation of the Titans because of their past two years of success at a level and a vision in which I think he viewed or was sold how this Colts team was going to look with Ballard and Reich. And then you have last week, you know, that that plea again via social media of come out, be primal. And you know how important it is to the owner. And then, Bob, they come out completely flat, emotionless, and listless in that first half, even though we're not in the locker room. To me, you could eyeball that and immediately draw the conclusion that that's on the coach and he no longer has a voice that is going to inspire anybody in that locker room. Yeah, I just don't I don't hear it resonating with, with these players. I mean, look, there is, whatever you think, there is a ton of talent here. I mean, they didn't have seven Pro Bowl players last year by accident. And those guys are, are back. So I, I, it's just hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to understand how an offensive line who, and this is a team that devotes a higher percentage of its cap to the offensive line than any other team. That's the area that you're most concerned about. Um, you know, I could see short-term issues here and there, uh, with, with the new guys, with Pryor, uh, with Pinter, whoever the hell is playing right guard uh, on a given day. But for them, top to bob to be so, um, you know, underachieving is it, mind-boggling to me. I mean, it's not Jonathan Taylor. I can promise you that. You watch these games. We all watch these games. Is there any place to run? 
The other no. issue that I have, somebody brought this up on Twitter last night, and it got me to thinking because I had considered this earlier. They don't do a lot with misdirection. They're not going outside. Not a lot of quick pitch outs. You know, I, look, I, I, I'm not a run game expert, you know, or a run game coach, but it just seems like they're playing in a, in, in, in a phone booth. It, it just it feels like they're, they're, they're not creating uh, issues for the defense in the run game. And, I, you know, they, they say they're doing the same things they've always done, but whatever it is, it ain't working. No, it's not. And this is what we gather from this team. At that offensive line, and they're not even close right now to playing decently. But if this offensive line plays below what the expectation should be, and that's accurate, being the highest-paid offensive line in the NFL, Bob, this team has no chance. Your 37-year-old quarterback has no chance. Your pass catchers have no chance, even with the inspiration of the tight end play from Granson to Mo Alley, and to a degree, you know, you know what you got from Jalen Wood or Jelani Woods yesterday. Even to the degree of that, it doesn't matter because if this offensive line doesn't work, this team is not going to win. Right. No. I mean, you're and again. This is the foundation of this team. And the crazy thing is the thing that we worried about the most were the wide receivers who have been okay yeah. uh, and the tight ends. Tight ends combined for 180 yards yesterday. They were spectacular. And they deserve all the praise that they get. But, you know, <laughs> there's just nothing happening. I mean, and, and, and look, we got to talk about Matt Ryan. He put up, what, 360-something yards yesterday, something like that. But he can't – he's not protecting the football. Nine fumbles is unbelievable. I mean, this is Carson Wentz stuff in terms of – it's worse than Carson Wentz in terms of uh, holding on to the football. So, uh, you know, the one thing that, that I've been thinking about, talking about, is I hope this is a one-and-done with with Matt Ryan. Uh, they they they've yeah. got to get off the treadmill. They have got to get off the treadmill. I understand that they haven't had a lot of choices, uh you know, a lot of options in the last couple of years, but they have got to go out and do whatever it takes uh to get that first round pick and get themselves a quarterback for the future because you know, whether the guy, the whether the the draft he plays next year or not, you know, whether he's a backup to Matt Ryan for that one year, um, this team is just not going to go anywhere with Matt Ryan. Uh, he, he's he's a, a solid pro, but um, there are just things that he can't do any longer, and it's becoming abundantly obvious. Well, I mean, and you look at in his numbers, you look at and you go, hey, you know, hey. you'll take those numbers, but you're right, Bob. I, I mentioned this. Those receivers had to work really hard. For those catches yesterday, uh, the tight ends, whether you're talking about, you know, Alec Pierce stretching out a couple of different times, and you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. He, The thing that you notice in the press box, and both you and I are up there for those games, is what he does miss. And, and not he, he just necessarily missing receivers, but guys are open. He doesn't throw it. Uh, clearly, he's discombobulated because most of the time he's running for his life, but it's not working. It's just not. It's- his uh, pocket presence, which used to be something that I thought he was great at, um, just isn't there. I mean, there was a play, I guess it was last week, where he was being tracked down by a, by a defensive end, 
And he, it seemed like he had absolutely no clue that the guy was coming. He took his time, got strip sacked, and, and it was their ball. And yeah. I, I'm, may, maybe, maybe the Colts are breaking him the way they've broken Andrew Luck. I don't know. But it's just amazing to me that, you know, I mean, they sold him on the idea that he would have a running game in an offensive line, and they have not delivered on that at all. Bob Kravitz of The Athletic. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group pod line. He's got his latest column out. Now, Jim Mercer has never done it. I know both of us are expecting him not to do it this year regarding a decision on, on Frank Reich. Is, is there a breaking point to that? Is there new no. ground that you could see covered? any way shape or form because i don't but do you i don't either i don't either i think jim has uh studiously avoided being his father and his father routinely uh flew out coaches in the middle of seasons jim has seen that interim coaches do not work in football if you're bad you're bad it doesn't depend matter if you got vince lombardi if you're bad you're bad and i do not see him making a change. I think Chris Strasser uh, would be the most likely candidate to be held responsible for what's going on. But uh, yeah, and honestly, unless, you know, unless this thing really falls off a cliff, I I think he's back next year. Unless, you know, I mean, I still think somehow, some way, because the AFC South is so lousy, um, they're going to be in it till the end, whether they like it or not. But You know, unless this thing falls off off a cliff, I have a hard time seeing them making a change at the end of the season, much less doing it in season. It was, um, and and I know people are going to go, aren't you used to it by now? But yesterday's first half, Bob, was probably the most ridiculous half of or football, I I, I should say, that I've seen. And people were saying, well, you know, you're irate about this. Why weren't you? as equally irate about the Jacksonville game. Well, I was, but again, going into this game and knowing what was on the line and then getting that level of play or lack thereof in that first half, I, I, to me, I, there's no excuse. There's just zero excuse for the way that they came out. And, you know, it, it, at some point, I talk about the, the AFC South, you know, being that gift that keeps on giving, but I don't even know if the Colts are at a level right now where they could ever take advantage of it. It's all kind of fool's gold whenever anything positively happens, seemingly, with this team. And the shame of it is, you know, look, does anybody really think Jacksonville's the real deal unless they're like the 1999 uh, Indianapolis Colts who went from 3-13 and to 13-3 and in Peyton's second year? Maybe that's what's happening there, but I kind of doubt it. But – Look at look at Tennessee. Do they strike you as a great team? I know they were the number one seed last year, but you know losing AJ Brown, losing Landry. I mean, this is not the same team, and, and they, they're terrible in the second half. They're as bad in the second half as the Colts are in the first half. We saw that play out yesterday. Um, but this division is there for the taking, and I, I don't know that the Colts have it in them to to seize the opportunity we talk about a breaking point or maybe lack thereof and i think we both agree that it's it it would take a lot uh for jim to to make a move that he's never done before on a head coach during the season what about that matchup with carson wentz here 
I mean, would that be would that would that be a breaking point though? I mean, honestly, would that be a breaking point yeah, for the owner? I mean, that would be awfully, awfully close to to a, being a breaking point, and and it might be the breaking point. Uh, I mean, if you lose to Carson Wentz after all that that happened, after all you said in the off season, after you know making it abundantly clear that he was the, responsible for the team failing to make the playoffs, yeah, that's I, I could see that. I, I think that's. That's certainly a possibility, but God, that's not that's not going to happen, is it? Uh, famous last yeah, words, Bob. Lose to the commandos. <laughs> famous, famous last words. I hey, I said I they mean, couldn't lose to Jacksonville again. They got run twenty four zip. So what the <laughs> hell do I know? Yeah, and it just seems like those those moments, even last week. I mean, you could tear that apart. And even make that Kansas City win look bad with the way that that went down. When you think of the quarters of football they played and the positive quarters that they have had in those quarters through four weeks of the season, it's mind-blowing the level, or I should say in this case, the depth of football that we have seen. It is. Oh, it's, it, it's as bad as anything I've seen around here, and I think any of us have seen for many years, I mean, we've been very, very fortunate. I mean, I understand that, um, you know, they haven't won a, a division since 14, but, you know, we've seen competitive football, and this has not been competitive. You know, I mean, yesterday it got interesting late, and if Jonathan Taylor doesn't fumble the ball, and, if, you know, if, 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 you know, that was a competitive game, but, they, they have consistently put themselves in hole. I was mentioning to Naheem Hines yesterday, I said, you realize you guys have been down 17 points in every game against the AFC South this year? He's like, that is so ridiculous. And it is. For a team that's built, you would think, the right way, or at least what they think is the right way, and it's just not happening for them. And, um, you know, I was – I thought there was hope, but I'm starting to lose it. I'm starting to lose hope that this team can get itself together. Uh, you know, and th- this game Thursday is going to be monster because you got two teams really in the same situation with new quarterbacks who haven't figured it out. Uh, we don't know what's going on with Jonathan Taylor. We know the the, the Broncos are going to lose their, their top uh, running back so to injury. So this is, a, again, a monumentally important game. It's not AFC South, but it's AFC, and that, that means something. Yeah, Bob Kravitz joins us from The Athletic. Your colleague at The Athletic, Zach Kiefer, had tweeted about this a little bit earlier today from Naheem Hines, quote, not an excuse, but every year we have a new quarterback. Yeah. So each year we yeah. have growing pains while we sit here. You know the quote. And I'm sure you've read the quote. You probably even heard the quote from I yesterday. Quote. It, it, it reads as a shot at Chris Ballard. And, and knowing Naeem Hines, I'm sure he didn't mean it that way. But that's no. the way that it reads to me. Does it you? No, not really, because I was there. I, I was talking to him, and, and he, he brought that up, uh, I think, yeah. in response to a question of mine. Maybe it was somebody else's. Who remembers? But, uh, yeah, I don't think it was a shot. But it, it, it was, you know, and the thing I like about Naeem is he's honest. And let's be honest, you know, having a new quarterback every year for the last however many years it's been, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And you look at the, the, the issues that they're having 
uh, in Denver with Russell Wilson. He doesn't look like Russell Wilson. So, I mean, if you want to be a positive guy about it, you know, Wilson and, and Ryan will will get their legs under them and start playing better. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I did not take it as a shot. I just thought it was a, a very, um, very clear, cogent observation. To Bob Kravitz, he's with us. So, Jonathan Taylor, think he plays in this short week? You know, coming off I that, that injury situation? I, mean, I, I saw Adam Schefter had a tweet uh, that there's, there's a chance he could play. But this, I, I have a hard time believing that on a short week he's going to go. Um, and can we mention, by the way, as we do every year, that Thursday night football is an abomination. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, four it just days, it gets, keeps getting bad pub. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. It keeps getting yeah, it's getting bad pub. There's no doubt about that. Now, now that now that Amazon's involved, though, they're going to get, as we've seen, much better games, and they've staked their claim that it's going to be money over exactly what you're alluding to right here. Yeah. Well, and when we'll end up with situations like Tua Tonga Bailoa and well. What I find interesting is that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Sherman has always been anti-Thursday night football. So where is he working? Thursday night football. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, it, yeah, and that's that's not going to stop. That's not going to stop no. whatsoever. Um, Shaquille Leonard got the friendly fire hit yesterday. That oh. looked pretty major, especially coming off the two a week on Thursday night where you would think everything would be more hypersensitive. Um, what do you think about his? Obviously, he's not going to play. He's ruled out. Yeah, but your thoughts even longer out. term for him? I, I don't think, you know, look, they're, they're, everybody is being hypervigilant now, which is what they should have been a long time ago. But we know how, we know how the NFL works. Um, yeah, I, I, I think even if he was cleared, uh, because understand, we talked to Reich today, and he said that they made this decision uh, independent of the protocol. So, in theory, he could have been cleared in the protocol, and and he could have, he would have been cleared to play. But the Colts decided maybe because of this of the of the atmosphere now uh, in the league that uh, he was not going to play, and I think that's a smart thing. Yeah, I don't know about any more Jim Irsay firing up the team video tweets. Yeah, he, he was all you know? he, he fired him up before that uh, before that uh, Jacksonville game that didn't work. Uh, yeah. Before the home opener, or uh, excuse me, before the Houston game, uh, none of that stuff seems to be working. Nobody's listening to poor Jim anymore, and uh, I don't think he likes that. And I think people are going to pay. Uh, there, there's going to be issues down the road for a lot of people. And I think, as we, as we mentioned earlier, uh, if things don't turn around, I think Chris Strasser uh, may very well be out of here uh, after the Denver game. The, uh, the thing you got to guard against more so than anything else, even among all this disappointment that we've been talking about, is a level of apathy. And you know, you've known him for a long time, too. The guard is up when it comes to Colts fans, and being apathetic toward this team, and that's also a part of this path we're talking about here, Bob. Yeah, no, I look. I, I mean, I, I really do think that 
we're at a point in the development of this of this uh, uh, franchise that I, I I think they've got to be bad for a really long period of time for apathy to to set in. I think right now we're still in the pissed off mode, and I think we're going to be that way for quite some time. But you know, if it's a long term situation, yeah, I can see apathy creeping in, but not just yet. Yeah, I, I just I, I kind of think about it from these terms, I guess, too, is that it seems like, you know, anytime you, you you talk about this team and their shortcomings so far, you know, if you get the Uber fan back at me, they say, hey, there's still a lot of season or, hey, this is the AFC South. And while all that is true, I think all this does is muddy up the water and lower the expectations to a point where it's it's tough, certainly to dig out of such such a hole. That's. That's kind of what I get each and every week. Yeah. It seems like we're talking about the same stuff, but it looks like to me the product is getting progressively worse. It is. So, and and the margin of error is zero. They, they can't lose another AFC South game. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm not sure they can lose, you know, they, they can't lose a hell of a lot more. And, and it's, no. you know, it's, 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 they put themselves in a hole again. And, you know, they could start pra- uh, training camp practice at 1. They can start it at 6.30 in the morning. I don't care. They're going to get off the slow start under this administration. It's just the way it is. Yeah, and that's that's why you kind of look at the coach and you go, all right, one thing that hasn't been addressed that's certainly a common theme here, and that's where everybody's attention goes. Hey, Bob, great column today. I appreciate that. Thanks for hopping on. And short week with the Broncos on Thursday. We'll see what happens. Appreciate you. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. Bob Kravitz of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pile on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. By the way, inside the lounge via YouTube Live, get there, get inside the conversation. I'll be in there with you momentarily as well. For the morning show, Jake Query joins us from Kevin and Query, again on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. I, I, there are a lot of things I'm sick of. There are a lot of things that don't affect me, but that first half of play yesterday, and you saw this, you know, up there, I just, I could, shaking my head. It's all stuff we've seen. It's all, unfortunately, stuff we've become used to with this team. But yesterday just struck a chord with me differently than anything else, in particular that first half. What about you? I left, John, if you recall, right about halftime. I was walking out of the press box, and you said, man, you leaving? And I said, you know, I, I, I would like to stay, but I have to go to an algebra tutor from 3 until 6. And my algebra tutor from 3 until 6 was the second most confusing thing I could have partaken in yesterday. And the other was watching that bleep show because I don't get it. I don't understand how as a franchise you can beg and plead for your fans to show up and be primal and be pissed off and be loud. And you can tell us that as a franchise, you're all chips in and you can spout from the mountaintops to anybody that will listen that divisional games are double. And you go out for your third chance to win a divisional game this year. And you have yet to do it. You are as flat as can be. Everybody in that building knows that Derrick Henry is the guy that's going to get the football, and yet whether they throw it to him on a flare, they throw it to him on a sweep, they run it up the middle, everybody seems stunned that he's getting it. 
that was an inexcusably flat performance from a franchise that has asked everything out of their fan base and not done a single thing that they've asked the fans to do, and that's show up and be committed. It was embarrassing. It should be the, – the people here should be PO'd. People should refuse to spend their hard-earned money to go watch that kind of crap again on a beautiful fall day until they see some sort of a commitment that there is some sort of an investment towards bettering it because this city – that has spent a ton of money on that franchise deserves better. Jay Cray, the morning show is with us. People ask me, has the head coach lost the locker room? And I don't know because I'm not in there. But at the same time, if you are going to define a head coach losing the locker room in terms of the buildup and the lead-up, especially with all that was provided by the owner leading up to that game, that looked like a coach that lost his locker room in that first half. That's, that's oh, how yeah. it looked. And I know that's easily cliched away, but if you were going to eyeball it, that's exactly what it looks like. John, let me say this. I think Jim Mersey is a, is a good person. I think he's a well-intended, kind-hearted person. I think Frank Reich is a good person. I don't know him well, but I think he is a well-intended, good-spirited, good man. I think Chris Ballard is has very good virtues about him. He clearly is a family guy that has a kind heart. However, none of that wins you football games. And when you ask me if Frank Reich has lost the locker room, I'm not certain. And I agree with you. I mean, we're not in the locker room. Anybody that claims they are, unless they're a member of the roster, is lying to you. However, I don't know that we can answer that because to lose the locker room, you first have to have it. And to, to have the locker room means that you've gone on deep runs or you've inspired teams to play better than who they are. Have the Colts under Frank Reich ever played better than who they are? Did he ever have the locker room? Well, I, I, was, I was thinking, I asked this question, when was the last time we saw a game-wise consistently played performance by the Colts? You go back to Buffalo. It, it's funny. When you think back, Jake, and you were here as well, to um, uh, the last era with with Pagano and with Grigson and what they wanted to do. They wanted to run the football and and kind of that blueprint performance that outlined what they wanted to do and their vision of that team was that game, if you remember, in San Francisco. I think it was Ahmad Bradshaw. That was Trent Richardson's first game, which, you know, evokes a lot of great memories. Uh, That was like the blueprint of how they wanted to play and then win games. And I think you saw last year with Buffalo, that was the blueprint of how they want to win games here now with, with Chris and Frank. The problem is that the blueprint looks certainly more broken right now and unattainable as far as a level of consistent success. These foundational pieces that Chris Ballard has put together to this point, I'm sorry, with the results we have seen, it's failed. John, I said it this morning, and I'm going to repeat it, and my apologies for repeating for those that heard it this morning. But I'm telling you, it reminds me of this. It reminds me of when McLaren came over with Fernando Alonso to run the Indy 500, and everybody's like, oh, my goodness, two-time Formula One world champion plus a team with the resume of McLaren, they're going to be unbelievable. And McLaren came over and sat in their garage and was doing things, and they were way off pace, and they were way off pace, and they were way off pace. And people went to them and said, like, hey, maybe you should try this or try that. And they didn't listen to it. Then it turns out, what they had was a car that was set up by design 
for road and street courses, which is a completely different aerodynamic package than ovals. And they were trying to use the metric system as opposed to the data that was given to them and the, you know, American math system. My point being, they, they had the wherewithal and the knowledge and the resume to build a really good race car, but they built it the wrong way. And I feel like the Colts have the wherewithal and probably some of the players to build and be a good football team. But they're doing it in the metric system when the rest of the NFL is doing American math. Chris Ballard was insistent on an archaic form of football that you don't win with in 2022. And I don't understand why if everybody in this town could see that, he refused to listen to people when they said, you need playmakers in space. You need wide receivers that can get separation. You need a quarterback that can get rid of the ball quickly and a line that can protect them. And he wouldn't listen to anybody, and he was smarter than everybody. And I get it. I understand the pride. I understand that he does know more about football than I do. But at the same time, I think that he thought he was playing chess while everyone else was playing checkers. And eventually you've got to realize that if everybody in the room is playing checkers, the only way to win at checkers is to play that and not play chess. And I just think that's where they are. And and I don't know how you reverse it at this point. And again, I want to go back to also, John, you and I both know if they win Thursday night in Denver, everything's peachy keen and everybody's a genius again, except for that they've played three divisional games now and they have yet to win one. That is a huge, huge, huge hole to bury yourself out. Well, and we got to say, Jake Cray joins us. We, we got to stop lowering the bar. I mean, I, I, I hear about you know these. Well, this is this is the team that they are. Look what they did last year. And I, I've told everybody last year sucked. All right, there there was no greatness in last year. All right, last year sucked at the beginning, and then they won some games, and then it sucked at the end. I mean, basically what you lean on last year was the New England game, the Buffalo game, and then that Christmas night game in Arizona. And that was it. I mean, it was sucked at the beginning, sucked at the end. Uh, two years prior, you get to the postseason because they add a postseason spot. So I, I don't really know what people want to lean on as, well, this is what this team does because there's no greatness in what this team does. And part of the issue in which, Jake, you allude to here is this offensive line. You put all of this stock all of these resources in this offensive line, and it just hasn't failed to this point or been bad, right? It has failed miserably to this point, and that is going to lead ultimately to the failure of this entire team. You can't make up for that with this team, with a 37-year-old quarterback, with an inexperienced group of pass catchers. You cannot get up off the mat if that offensive line not just plays bad football, but continues to dwell in the depths in which we have seen so far. There is just no way. And by the way, if that is what this team is, if that's who they are, that's going to have a profound Jake effect on the future. There's no doubt about that. There's going to be some effect on the future with paying guys like Smith, with you know paying guys like Kelly. Quentin Nelson got worked a couple of different times by Danico Autry on Sunday. I'm sorry if you're paid at that level, that crap can't happen. You start right there. Their failures lead us to where this team has been so far this year. I totally agree. I mean the line itself look don't don't tell me that you don't need to go out and spend on they're under the cap. They're under the cap because they didn't need to spend on receivers and playmakers because they were going to build in the trenches. Well, guess what? The trenches yesterday got their asses kicked. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. 
Quentin Nelson, twenty million a year, and the guy you let walk is turnstiling him. People should be PO'd. And again, it's early in the year. A quarter of the season does not a season make, but they got some glaring, glaring, glaring problems they need to get fixed, and they need to get fixed quickly. Yeah, and that's the problem overall, Jake, is you look at it and there doesn't look like there's any hope whatsoever. I mean, there that's doesn't. The problem, John. I mean, where, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? What's the future? Yeah, I know. Matt, Ro- I know. Matt Ryan is going to be – Matt Ryan's going to be sipping cocktails on, you know, Kiowa Island here in three years or, or you know, or back in Philly, his hometown, whatever it might be. Uh, so where, so then, what do you, then where do you turn? Uh, what, what's the answer? I mean, every, every team in the AFC that they're contending with right now, and I realize that, that football is a now game and not a future game, but, but where is the light at the end of the tunnel here? Because if you're just going with quarterback rotation every two years, getting I mean, I've seen this movie. I've seen Gary Hogaboom. I've seen Don Bukowski. I've seen Chris Chandler. I've seen Craig Erickson. I've seen Steve Walsh. I've seen Jack Trudeau. I've seen Jim Harbaugh. I've seen Paul Justin. I've seen Ricky Turner. I've seen this quarterback rotation crap every two years. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so what do you do? The franchises that have competency up top, instead of sitting around and talking, they went out and they found their guy. And guess what? Now the Chargers and the Bills and the Chiefs and the, and the Bengals. I mean, sure, it helps to have the number one overall pick. I get it. It's easier said than done. I totally get that, too. But they have had opportunities. The Andrew Luck excuse is long gone, man. It's long gone. Long gone. I'm telling you, man, yeah. people should be PO'd. No, and I agree, and that's that's the direction that they're going. I would rather them right now be going off on that first half of play because the other side of that is you hear people going, hey, you know what, I decided to go out and do algebra, or I decided to go out and do something else in the afternoon. I There was something other I would rather be doing than watching that game, and I know that winning cures all, but when you've kind of you kind of fallen for it, you know, the level of winning, you keep lowering the bar on it right here. And that's problematic. That leads to apathy. And apathy is pure evil against a sports team, especially a sports team in a market this side. It just is. John, here's what, and Kevin pointed this out yesterday on Twitter. I, I, and I, I had this epiphany this morning, and he's like, yeah, man, I tweeted that yesterday. But Kevin's typically a step ahead of me. I get it. But look at the divisional games. All we hear about is how divisional games mean double. And you got to be yeah. ready for divisional games. And we need the crowd to be pissed and primal and whatever, energetic. Da, da, da. Let's look at what they've done. Yesterday in the first half against Tennessee, down 24-3. Against Jacksonville in the, top, in the game, down 24 nothing. Against Houston on the road, down 20-3. to What? Like, don't ask me to get prepared and excited for a divisional game when you come out and you're getting outscored like that in the first half of these games. That's either terrible execution, complete apathy by your locker room, or terrible game planning. I don't know which it is, but none of those are a good combination. I mean, if no. Jim Mercer, no. I'm livid, livid. Yeah, but at the same time, you can be livid, but, you know, if you just kind of just let her go here, I mean, he Jim Mercer has, has gone – without a great deal of criticism through all this. But when the same things, Jake, 
continue to happen? And then you get that whole rah-rah speech, and then you have a first half like we saw yesterday and another rah-rah speech, another first half, or another result that we have seen so far. And all of a sudden, then the owner is going to be the one talked about. And, and rightly so, because it's your team. There's no doubt about it. But I, I just, I, they're in such, to me, a problematic situation. I felt yesterday that loss, that loss was a microcosm of how this team was built and the foundational building blocks failing it at a high level. And that's not just bad for this year. That's going to be bad for years further down the road. That's, that's more problematic than, you know, just a, a weekend, for example, Jake, in October. It is. I can't disagree, man. I mean, I do think that Jim Irsay, you know, there's a long book that could probably be written about it because I think that Jim Irsay, in his defense and to his credit, saw the kind of owner and the volatility and what it did to the franchise of his father's shortcomings. And Jim Irsay has worked tirelessly to not be his father. But I think at some point, maybe that goes, that pendulum swings almost detrimentally to the other side, where now all of a sudden people don't necessarily fear your volatility because, and you're going out and you're doing things to be engaging for people and to be fun. And I love all of that. But that's all well and good until you're, until the primary reason that people see you is not delivering. And that is as an owner of a franchise that people feel. And whether it's right or wrong, Jim Mersey is the sole independent owner of the Indianapolis Colts. But people that give good, hard-earned money, and the NFL is a business and an expensive one, and people that are working hard, making forty-five, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, hourly wage, whatever it might be, when they give a certain percentage of their income to go down, park, buy a ticket, go to a game, buy a beer, buy a hot dog, that investment they feel gives them an entitlement to what they consider to be a subtle ownership of the franchise it doesn't mean that literally to do so but that's the emotion that fans have towards the franchise and it's important that Jim Irsay feel that connection to those fans and is philanthropic to them and I get that but at the same time then come with that comes a responsibility to have people know or feel or assume that you're not afraid to go in there and kick a boot around a little bit when the team's not playing well. And I think right now people are starting to question whether or not his desire to not be his father is holding him back from tightening the fist the way it needs to be tightened on having the grip of his franchise. And that's Jay Cray, the more. Yep, Jay Cray, the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline, Buffalo Wild Wings in Plainfield on a blue Monday with our friends from Buffalo Wild Wings and Bud Light today. Great to see you out here. Jay Watkins had tweeted me this. I didn't know this. I didn't know if you'd heard it. He said that McAfee said on his show today that Jelani Woods was kept out of the game for a majority of the snaps over texting during mass on Sunday. Is that true? I mean, Jerry's normally, I wouldn't read this just from a random dude. He's normally somebody that listens to a lot. Have you heard that? I have not heard that. That's the first I've not heard of that. Um, but Woods was in there a lot yesterday, wasn't he? I thought that he was. I, I didn't really notice. Maybe it's because the tight end group did all the work yesterday offensively. That's the reason why I didn't notice it. But I was just kind of curious. I just saw that, and I hadn't heard that anywhere else. 
I had not heard that. And I'm looking, of course, my computer's freezing up here, but I'm curious how many, didn't he get a lot of targets yesterday? Because I remember thinking at one point, like, here we go. Like they're really relying. I mean, their tight end group in general seemed to get a lot of looks yesterday, partially out of necessity, but partially because they played well. And and I would put yeah. Woods in that category. I mean, I remember yesterday, he had one really good play there in the first half. Um, so I had not heard that. I'm looking right now. I think I've got it here in just a second on how many targets he got yesterday. Um, Jelani Woods yesterday, uh, he only had one catch for 33 yards. I take that back. He only had one target, so I stand corrected. But they did use the tight ends a lot. I mean, obviously, Grantham got a lot of catches, so, you know. Jelani Woods, according to Kyle back at the studio, played 15 snaps. Okay. You would think coming off of a two-touchdown performance, maybe more than that, so maybe there's some accuracy to that. Well, the, one of the reasons I wouldn't have thought about it was because they, they didn't have the tight ends had success. I mean, between, you know, he, or I should say Mo Ali cox and Kylan Granson, uh, those are the guys that, that made most of the offensive plays yesterday against the Tennessee Titans. So that's that's, I guess, why I didn't think about it in that context. But I, I hadn't heard that until just now. I I also had not heard that. But, I mean, Pat would know, I would think, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's weird, too, because, man, that offers up. That goes inside the inside right now, and you know how that goes over there. <laughs> that won't go very well, will it? That kind of insight on the inside of what's going on right there. So That is true. Yeah, no doubt. Jake Quare, the morning show, is is with us. So what do you think? You get a long week next week. Does does uh, Chris Rosser, the offensive line coach, because uh, I kind of feel this way right now, is this kind of the last stand here? If this offensive line struggles in Denver coming up on Thursday night, then you roll into a long week uh, to get ready for the next week. Because um, we've seen examples made of, you know, Danny Pinter, which is laughable. We've seen, you know, Blankenship, uh, which clearly yesterday didn't give you any good signs with McLaughlin missing that kick. But will this be the next example of things continue to go so woefully for this offensive line? I mean, they got to play well. They got to improve and they got to play well. I don't, I personally don't think that the Colts, because look, I'm frustrated. I know fans are frustrated. I'm trying to speak on behalf of fans to an extent. Maybe that's unfair of me. But I feel like people are frustrated and need their voice. You know, they they want their voices heard about what – so I'm, I'm playing that role, I guess, to an extent. But I also don't think they're terrible. And I think – I do – I know people hate hearing it. I do kind of agree when they say that they're not far off from being competitive and being good, and this division is so bad. They've dug themselves a huge hole, man, a huge hole. But it's still early enough that there is – I mean, I've, we've seen Colts teams in the past where then they get hot and, think, you know, the, the season ebbs and flows an awful lot. There was a time last year where we thought they were the best team in the league, and then they missed the playoffs. So, I mean, a lot can happen. So, I don't know. I do think that Jim Mersey wants to be stable and wait until an offseason to make moves. But they got to play well in Denver. And if they don't, then they can start taking on water quickly. There's no doubt about it. I can't imagine they're going to go out and do it. Would it surprise you at all? I said this going into Kansas City. Remember, I said, you know, look, they'll probably beat Kansas City. And they did. Would it surprise Denver's got their own issues. Denver's got their own problems. Um, going in there probably doesn't help because it's on the road and, and the altitude. But I, Denver isn't, isn't overly imposing. But if they don't play well, 
it wouldn't shock me if there were changes made, but I wouldn't anticipate it to be honest with you. But maybe what, I'm being what's, yeah. What, what's funny about this is I, I just I, I guess I look at it more negatively here. I, I don't I don't see redeeming qualities where this team is going to be capable of stringing together productive quarters and you know and at the level in which is going to be necessary here and, and this is not just coming with the slow start or you know it's just it seems to me this offensive line is broken and if this offensive line is broken this team is going to be broken they're scoring 14 points a game that doesn't get any better if this offensive line doesn't I improve mean, and jake it has to improve so drastically I, I just I don't have in my mind a belief that they're going to be able to do it. I just don't. I mean, let, let's look at the offensive line. You got a right side of the line that's broken. You got a left side of the line that's got one guy you just paid twenty million dollars to that just basically was the most hospitable guest of all on Danico Autry's return. And you've got a center who I, I, I realize and understand and respect has probably gone through some some tough personal times, but is not playing well at all. I, I mean, your your staple on your line is supposed to be. Quentin Nelson and, and and he's regressed. Yeah, I, I he got worked yesterday is. too. Yeah, yeah, brutal. Mm. And the other thing too, think about left tackle for a moment. You you brought up the arrogance of Ballard earlier, the arrogance that you believe that you can put a guy that predominantly has been a guard in his time in the NFL who has played less than sparingly at left tackle. You could put him at left tackle. He could be a starting left tackle for a successful team with what is supposed to be a great offensive line and a 37-year-old quarterback. That You look at that right now, and this is not all about Matt Pryor. I'm just making an example of this. That seems like one of the worst decisions of all time. Who in the hell thinks that? In this era of the NFL and knowing how important that position is, who thinks that that's going to work? Why would that work? You know, the left tackle position for the Colts has been like the credit card where you feel like you just keep making the monthly payments and you're going to be okay. Uh, eventually, that interest compounds and you find yourself underwater. And that's what's happened, man. That interest has come I, back to yeah. You know? I just I, – I, um, I, I don't get I don't it. Get I got it. no answer there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't. I mean, the – Maybe it's a position they just took for granted for so long because they had two guys that did it for so long. Let me know. tell you this. I, I made the, and everybody has told me it's ridiculous. So, okay, it's ridiculous. I had made how long the argument of, hey, if you're going to pay this guy $20 million, having play left tackle. And then everybody oh, laughed at my ass. I mean, including, including Ballard in a press conference laughed at it. Okay, that's fine. Laugh at it. But to me, it would be more logical in doing that than it would what they ultimately did at that position. Listen. I hosted four shows with Anthony Costanzo and played ping pong with him twice. And I knew a year ahead of time he was going to retire. So how the hell did they not? Yeah, I just, you know what um, I mean? That, that one's, and again, this is not an indictment on prior because there's plenty of this lack of love to go around. You just think about what goes into that decision-making and why anybody thinks that that would work. It had, you know, you can have success at that what is necessary here long term and I listen I know Jonathan Taylor fumbled yesterday um Jonathan Taylor has nowhere to go 
nowhere. Hey, by the way, too, Naheem Hines had, yeah, I'm going to paraphrase this quote where he said, hey, this is no excuse, but we've had a different quarterback every year. And when you read that quote, it sounds like that that is a subtle shot at Chris Ballard. I don't know if you've read that quote or not, but maybe that's something you could comment on when you read it further coming up tomorrow morning. But it, it kind of it kind of struck me as a bit of a, a shot. Even if it was an unintended shot, it, it sounded like a shot at Ballard. And that's a guy in Naeem Hines who's always pretty much taken the, the company line. You know what I mean? Like, he's an optimistic guy. He's a professional. He's a nice guy. Um, I, I get the feeling there's some dissension within. I don't know that. I'm not... I'm not at practices, but it just feels that way, right? It feels like there's guys not happy with their roles. And this is what happens, man. You start teetering and you start balancing, and before you know it, man, that season can get away from you and all hell breaks loose. And I hope that's yeah. not where they are right now, but it feels like it's teetering that way. There just has not been enough positive, and especially positive strung together here consistently for anybody to believe that a turnaround is coming. And, again, I'll address this. What, what type of turnaround are you talking about? A turnaround like last year? I mean, it, it, I just, we we've just have lowered the bar so much in expectations week after week here. It's pretty sickening, I think. And I'm, I'm you know, I, I sit here and I can tell you this. I'm tired of it. Watching that first half yesterday, I, I don't get emotional about these games. I try to remain as even keel as possible. But that first half of play pissed me off. I thought it was a joke. Totally agree. Totally agree. Hey, why do you think I left to go do algebra? <laughs> I didn't want to do that. <laughs> but I wasn't about to do that, but I, um, I, I'm just, that, that is tired. It, just knowing what was on the line and all that stuff we've already talked about, I just, it, um, it, is, it is bad, strikingly bad, how a team can come out there and put together a half of football. Um, knowing what was on the line, knowing what has totally. been said, and, and knowing that that's coming from the owner. And if I'm the owner and somebody asks me, do you think your head coach has lost the locker room? I think that's the greatest example that we could see so far was that first half yesterday, regardless yeah. of coming back in the second half. Because let's face it, the game was over. The game was done in the first half. They were done into the first half. I mean, I really felt like when I left and Moali Cox had just scored, I thought, you know what, if they can get a stop to start the second half, they're going to be okay. And then I, I, I couldn't believe they couldn't get it going, man. Couldn't believe it. All right. But he went to do – Yeah. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mind being up there because you and uh, Whitlick provide some pretty decent entertainment for me up there. I just that, – that, that first half – and people have told me already, well, you know, why don't you expect this? Yeah, yeah, I don't expect that. I expect much more. This is not how it's supposed to be here. And that's what we're talking about today at length. Jake, I appreciate it. Tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., you're back. Bob Kravitz joins us tomorrow morning. We'll talk about this. We'll replay some of our Jeff Saturday comments from this morning. So a lot to talk about to continue talking about what happened yesterday. You got it. Jake Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query. Jake, thank you very much. Weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m.